Talking with you. The student's point of view. We are here to talk. We are here to ask. We are here to learn. Welcome to our new episode of Talking with You, a podcast for the student's point of view matters. This show looks to extend the conversation of the topics discussed at the podcast of the Institut d'Etudes Européennes to the students, for the students, and by the students. At the same time, it seeks to give the students an open and safe space to discuss the topics that concerns us the most. My name is Martina. And my name is Felix, and we will be your hosts for today. In today's session, we will discuss a topic that has been very controversial for years and also very polarizing, but which makes it even more interesting to discuss. So we're going to talk about migration and specifically like the migration of refugees to the EU, especially in the light of the recent developments at the EU level. Yes, and to do that, we have two guests with us today. Mario Vega, newly elected co-president of uh, Eyes on Europe. Hi. And uh, Valentin Paris, member of the social board of SAIES and head delegate of the SPEC for Welbe. Hello. Thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yes, we are really happy you found the time to talk to us about this really important topic. As you have probably read also in the news already, in June, the member states and the council, they agreed on a new policy reform for migration, which like ended also like the years of stalemate and political gridlock as well. But also the reform has been in the aftermath heavily criticized by both camps. Both the, the pro-migration camp said it's like too harsh and the anti-migration camp said it's too lax. But before we come to discuss the actual compromise, we would like to highlight again like the, the key points of the EU migration debate so that all our listeners know what we're actually talking about. Yes, and migration and in general how to deal with migration has always been uh, a controversial topic among different political factions, especially in 2015 and 16, when more than a million people, mainly from Middle East and North Africa, sought asylum in the EU. And we can say that the failure of the EU asylum system has been clearly revealed several times over and over. And even farther, the member states are until today sharply divided on this topic, particularly around the questions of mandatory redistribution of arriving refugees among all member states and also about the legitimacy of border closures and what we can experience at the moment again is that the number of refugees are fleeing the EU are increasing again also given by the fact of the continuing and ongoing war in Ukraine and once again this sparked the political debate about migration and the EU has also made a legal and moral commitment to guarantee individual asylum rights but the member states on the EU external borders are increasingly overburdened and left alone in um, receiving and uh, integrating refugees and this has often caused deeply civil dissatisfaction with European solidarity and sometimes with the EU in general and this generates tension that helped um, somehow to reach the great electoral success that right-wing anti-immigration and eurosceptic populist movements or parties in almost all EU member states in uh, recent years. Yeah, and the EU also tried to like use different strategies, also the EU and its member states, of course, to like restrict the eligibility criteria for asylum. They also tried to harden like the external border control by enhancing like the border agency Frontex. They also tried like repatriation, return agreements, basically with transit countries or countries of origin where the refugees are coming from, so to be able to deport them back. And so that's also related to also to the council uh, compromise in June 2023, where in this reform they also agreed on like a strict procedure for asylum seekers with low recognition rates uh, already at the external border. And on the other side, uh, they also agreed that the EU countries now have the choice either to accept a certain number of mi migrants each year from the member states most affected by the arrival of new refugees or that they have to pay like a contribution to a joint EU fund. So here's also the question, of course, like starting maybe with you, Mario. What do you think about the compromise reached? 
Thank you for the question, Felix. Well, on a technical level, I think the proposal shows many flaws. First, vaguely defined concepts, not to mention chaotic processes, with no guarantees that they can be fulfilled. Regarding the content, I am surprised that the approval of the proposal is seen as a victory. Just to briefly mention some of the points that I consider the most interesting as a failure, I would like to mention the new so-called compulsory and flexible solidarity, which is one of the two pillars of this reform. The idea behind this is to break the Dublin regulation because apparently it's not working as some countries are not taking all the mandatory responsibility they should. However, the reform all introduces small changes, rather reinforces what we had in the past, such as the idea of first country of arrival. The fact that solidarity is mandatory but flexible, it's key to understand that certain countries will not want to receive refugees and opt for payments. Others who do not want either one of the other are against it. In the end, there is no guarantee for the South that they will have fewer applicants in their territory. We and I move to the next point, creates incentives for states at the border to reject applications more frequently and increase pushbacks. The second great pillar of this reform is the compulsory border process. Within this new proposal, we find the concept of safe country that is also quite vaguely defined. It's not clear at all and it leaves countries with a huge margin of action. Countries like Italy requested that the concept of a safe country should be broadened. This concept refers to the fact that the states at the border when they reject the applicant for not meeting the requirements, can return the applicant to the other side of the border, claiming that it's a safe country. We don't know what a safe country is, nobody knows, and all the member states must prove a minimum connection between the applicant and the country again. The reform allows member states to choose on what terms that connection exists. What problem does this cause? That countries like Italy can start paying the price of a safe country to countries like Tunisia in exchange of million euros worth agreements. Does this even ring a bell regarding the last agreement between Tunisia and the European Union? So in the end my question is, what is the aim of this proposal? What have we achieved? What are the goals of this? In my opinion this is a historic moment, yes but not a victory. So what do we celebrate so much? And why those organizations that work in the field see this proposal as a step backwards? Let's put it simple. The objectives behind this proposal were curbing the arrival of asylum seekers, making the procedure more difficult, and facilitating the expulsion. With this proposal, they say that lives can be saved in the Mediterranean the world's deadliest migration route according to the United Nations. The new proposal aims to reject asylum applications that are not admissible at the border, but the border is not in Tunisia. It is easy to see a border on the ground if we draw a line. We can clearly see these two sides, but in the sea, the border is not on the shore of Tunisia. The border is drawn in Lampedusa. What does this mean? That those applicants to see that line have to cross the entire Mediterranean and risk their lives. So you are not helping them to save their lives. And finally, achievement or agreement. As I said, it depends on the objective of the proposal. If the objective is the protection of the identity and security concerns of Georgia Meloni, Victor Orban or Magrud, yes, it is indeed an achievement. If the goal is the welfare of asylum seekers, it is an agreement, not an achievement. Well, Mario, thank you very much. It was very interesting and insightful what you were suggesting us. But what about you, Valentin? What's your take on that? Well, I will not elaborate further on what Mario said. I share his point of view and I think it was really clear. For me, it really is more about concerns, about the possibility of the different uh, recommendations and proposals of the EU. I think that the compromise was unexpected but appreciated, but often the EU is a bit too ambitious for what it is capable of doing. We saw that with the EU-Turkey deal, there was so many shortcomings and things that were not achievable in practice. 
I saw numbers as high as 30,000 people relocated each year. When we saw that in the previous year, the EU wasn't even able to address thousands, the bare minimum, how will we able to achieve that number? I know that there is the idea that there would be fines upon the member states that would not process things correct way. I saw up to 20,000 euros per head. But if the procedure is too slow, if there isn't the infrastructure to ensure that is a possibility, then everything falls apart. You cannot find a country if there isn't the possibility for it to do its job. Also, I'm just scared that we will just come back at the same situation, that we will use excuses. Also, there is the concern of Italy uh, about the possibility of sending asylum seekers back to other countries than the one they were coming from. And that is something that seems to be agreed upon, that they would like to add more countries to the list of possible uh, sending back options. But what about human rights? If you send back asylum seekers to countries where their rights aren't respected and or even are worse than the one they left. What are we doing? What are we achieving? So in the end, I think it's a really nice plan. It's a really nice compromise, but it will depend on the different agreement and deals the EU will strike with those countries. I think that it's too early to define if it's a good or bad compromise. It just isn't complete. It's not enough and the EU should hold its moral standards. Yes, I completely, completely agree. And thank you very much, Valentin, for sharing with us your point of view. And to connect to what you were saying, and as well to what Felix already mentioned, the return agreements are part of the EU strategy to reduce the number of refugees by deporting rejected asylum seekers back to their country of origin. And the side effects of this is that the EU becomes dependent on dictators, autocrats, and in general, non-democratic countries. And we have at the moment an EU-Turkey refugee agreement in place since 2015, while Erdogan, in violation of the agreement's commitments, is deporting refugees to Syria and repeatedly threatened to suspend the agreements in order to receive political concessions. And now the EU has concluded another deal with the Tunisian president, offering money in exchange for increased border control and deportation of Tunisian refugees, with negative, of course, asylum decisions, and other countries might follow as well. So my question is, is the EU placing itself more and more in a dangerous dependency on dictators and thereby making itself more vulnerable to political blackmailing. And this time I would like to start with you, Valentin. So it's sure that there is a certain dependence on non-democratic regimes. We cannot avoid it and we need those agreements because in the current state of affairs, it has to be done. But what we have to do is take control of those negotiations. The mm -hmm. EU should not forget its moral standards. We have to hold up on human rights, fundamental rights for all our citizens, it's sure, but also for asylum seekers. We have to be the guardians of those values and it has to be translated in those negotiations. We cannot have the same things that we had with Turkey. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was going to say that we achieved it, but it's not an achievement. It was a failure. If we come to the same situation that we had with Erdogan, we are just doing the same thing over and over. If we have agreements, we have to be, as I said, in control. There is a need for reciprocity, but we have to put in place mechanisms to make sure that the EU protection is extended to those countries, at least in some way, that there is a sort of 
body controlling what is going on and making sure that the violence those people who are trying to flee are not committed again upon them. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. And what about you, Mario? What do you think about this? I agree. We do not have many alternatives. But to what extent do we want to be in the hands of regimes that do not share democratic values at all, such as Turkey? Migration management regarding negotiations and agreements with neighbors on the border is understood from the perspective of security, where the question is not how Morocco treats asylum seekers who want to reach Europe, but how we get Morocco to stop the asylum seekers. The problem is that we enter a dangerous spiral. Or just to give like a clear visual example, I see it in this way, like a very narrow corridor, which is scary at first, but you think it's a good idea to cross. At the beginning you enter, but you see that you can walk and move forward without any problem and you even have the control. At a certain point, you see something you don't like and that is scary and that is chasing you, but you cannot turn around. You can only just move forward. This is what what happened to the European Union with Turkey. This is what is happening to Spain with Morocco, even though there's no agreement as such. But now Spain is paying the high price of becoming the biggest lobbyist for Morocco within the European institutions. And in my opinion, for sure, this is expected to happen to the European Union in regard to the agreement with Tunisia. So these are my thoughts on, on this question. Well, thanks a lot. That was really like insightful as well. And obviously, like also showed really like the dilemma we're kind of faced in as on the one side, we're like dependent on those countries uh, for their like cooperation also with regard to refugee policy. But on the other side, also that the EU has also this moral obligation to make sure that the refugees are protected when they're coming back and that they fulfill like their commitments also to the protection of refugees in general. And as I already like mentioned, this kind of dilemma we're in, you know, that we're always like collecting questions through our social media channels to get like questions where we can discuss here. And there's also one in relation to that, because if we look also at the evolving political debate and its consequences, particularly also in the rise of anti-migration and Eurosceptic right-wing populism, and also this growing anti-migration attitude in the civil society, is also like a central like key dilemma revealed which the EU faces when it comes to migration policy. And we can also really like clearly recognize that we are in times of a further increasing polarization when it comes especially to the topic of EU migration, which will likely become more pressing in the years ahead, especially when we think about the effects for example of climate change on the change of living conditions in the global south and therefore this will also lead to a more polarization and increase of share of refugees like seeking asylum in the EU. So in that relation we have received a question from one of our listeners asking like how can the EU hold firm also in the future to its like moral and historically rooted like commitment to the right of asylum as a human right without on the other side to risk to overburden a member state particularly member states at the external border and to maintain in some way also the social peace in the civil societies. I can start with you Mario if you want. Yeah, thank you so much for the question, Felix. I also think that the question here would be, is everyone happy? Do we all actually agree? I'm not just talking about member states where we find a couple of countries that opposed the proposal and also some others that abstain. I'm also talking about the powerful actors involved in all these political game and debates, such as the civil society organizations or the political parties where we all see uh, discrepancies. And it's not even at the stage of the debate within the parliament, which is going to be quite interesting to have a follow-up on that. In my opinion, not everyone is going to be happy in the long run. Mandatory solidarity, but flexible, it's something positive for the North, while mandatory border procedures, it's something negative for the South. Let's just take a look at what Sweden said, which celebrated mandatory solidarity but not mandatory relocation, which is a quite revealing fact. We already see clear North-South division and I believe that all this political game and all these political tensions can be transmitted to the 
social arena where far right will um, use all these tensions and all these let's try not to call it mess hopefully it's not going to be a mess but in general migration and asylum policies are a really hot topic and there's a huge risk that all these um, nationalist narratives are going to be fed with all these issues going on related to the asylum policy and the proposal thanks a lot Mario and, and Valentin what, what do you think about that I think it's a really complicated matter the historical it is indeed the historical commitment is a fact that we have to to protect but there is a clear lack of commitment from some of the member states and without solving that issue we cannot hold firm to anything it's impossible there is a, a need for a better commitment from some of the countries and also a better organization between those countries i would particularly like to answer the part about social peace in civil societies for this issue we have to have a better transparency about what is going on at eu level on the issue of migration. Because there is the narrative of populists and other extreme far-right parties that are saying to the populations that the migrants are bad for the societies and so on and so forth. There is a need to explain to the European citizens what is really happening, what is going on, how is it gonna be done and why is it beneficial or not for the country really explain not only the positive side but also the negative so that the citizen can have a clear opinion on what is going on because if they only hear the populist narrative they will never see the truth and they will never understand truly what is going on and social peace will never be achievable Well, great. That was really like interesting and, and that was a really, really interesting also session and debate. But now we have reached the end of the transmission, even for the topic is, is really is super interesting to talk about. Yes, absolutely. There will be so many other things to say, but unfortunately, the time is over. But before we close, we would like to thank very much our two guests, Mario and Valentin. Thank you so much for inviting us. It was a pleasure. And of course, for discussing with us this very, very complex topic, but as well a very fundamental political matter. And I also want to thank you all for listening to one more episode of The Student's Point of View. Until next time. This podcast was sponsored by the Institut d'études européennes of the Université Libre de Bruxelles, which we thank for the opportunity of this space.